Morning, City Walk Church. How are we doing? Doing all right? Well, it is good, good to be here. I hope that you have enjoyed uh, your morning so far. It's a beautiful day outside. I know uh, we have a few people here. Uh, I know at least one person here that had about seven fifth grade girls at their house last night. So we need to pray for that fa- no, family. Uh, but it, it's been a good weekend so far. Uh, before we dive into part two of Bless This Home, I wanted to give you a couple quick uh, announcements as it relates to Easter. Uh, you guys know that uh, on Easter Sunday here at City Walk, we're going to have two services that day. One will be at 9, one will be at 9, uh, not 9.45, that would be very short. One will be at 9 and one will be at 10.45. Uh, and so uh, as we lead up two weeks out to Easter, there's a few things this week that we're doing to just really help get the word out. On Wednesday, we're calling it Pay It Forward Wednesday. And what we'd love for you to do and, and want to encourage you to do is to uh, pick up a few invite cards and on purpose go to Starbucks, go to Dunkin' Donuts, go to your favorite morning coffee place and pay for the person behind you in the drive through and hope they don't have the seven kids that are all having breakfast. Uh, but pay for the person behind you and leave an invite card uh, with, the, with the person at, dri- at the drive through And it's a, it's a fun thing to do to pay for the person behind you, and it's a blessing to them. And it's just a neat way to invite people. And so we're, if your budget allows for you to pay for somebody else, Wednesday, that's what we're going to do, try to do as a church all over our city and region is, man, when we go get our morning cup of coffee that we maybe just pay for the person behind us and then give them an invite to uh, Easter Sunday. Uh, Another thing that we're doing this next Saturday morning at 930, uh, we're going to have a door hanger party. That's like the coolest way we could call hanging door hangers on people's doors. And so What we do, we have about 2,500 door hangers, and we did this before our launch. Uh, In fact, some people have come to church because they got something on their door, and we're going to do that next Saturday. It's a fun thing to do. We're going to do it from 9.30 to noon. Uh, We're going to meet in the Bel Air parking lot right uh, close by here at 9.30. We'll split up, hang door hangers, and then we'll have pizza afterwards in one of the local parks there. And so just a fun thing to do if you have kids. Bring your kids, bring your strollers. Uh, It's a fun thing for the family to do, and the kids honestly really get into it, uh, hanging hanging the door hangers on people's doors. And so just just some ways that we can invite. On your way out today, uh, pick up a yard sign, invite cards. We've got a bunch of them there at the table, and they're for you to take uh, to just use to invite people to uh, Easter uh, at City Walk uh, here in just two weeks. And so... Uh, well, a couple. Well, actually, last week we started this new series. Uh, we started this series called "Bless This Home," and uh, we we started the series last week. And and this is one of those series that that no matter where you are in your life, no matter what role you play in your home. Every single one of us, whether you're the son or daughter in the home, whether you're the single mom, whether you're the grandparent that has adult children, every single one of us wants to have a home that's blessed. We want to be in a home that's blessed. And, and no, kind of according to where you are in your life and what season you're in, all of us maybe have a different view of what a blessed home looks like. If you're a teenager... For you, a blessed home might be my parents stay off my back and are an unlimited source of cash. If that happens, this is going to be a really blessed home. If you're a college student or you're a young adult, 
For you, a blessed home is a couple home-cooked meals with mom because ramen noodles and Taco Bell are starting to get old. And so for you, man, just some, some, a, a roast and some homemade macaroni is like, man, that'd be a blessed home. Uh, if you're a, a, a young parent and you've maybe recently had children, for you a blessed home looks like four hours of sleep uninterrupted. And you're like, man, if I just got four hours of sleep without a little kid crying or pooping or doing something like that, it would be a really blessed home. If you're a grandparent, for you a blessed home might look like Anytime you get to spend time with your grandkids and have a great time with them and not pulling out when you don't pull out your back or hurt yourself in the, in the mix, anytime you can do that, man, it is a blessed home and it's a happy home. So probably every single one of us has a, maybe a different view, but we would all say, man, I, I want to be in a home that's blessed. I, I don't set out to live in a home that's a train wreck. I want to be in a home, whether I'm the kid, whether I'm the parent, whether I'm the grandparent, that's happy, that's blessed. And no matter where you find yourself, what role you play or what season of life you're in, probably all of us would agree on at least this one thing. A blessed home is a safe home. Whether you're the kid, you're the single mom, whether you're the grandparent, we would all agree that a blessed home, a home that's happy, is a home that's safe. And in fact, we we go to great lengths in our society and in our families to make sure that our homes are a place that are safe. I remember uh, when I was new, new to being a parent... Uh, you could look at my devotional book that I was doing back then. It had a little prayer list. And Austin was our, our first. He's 17 years old. It's about 17 years ago. If you were to go to my devotional and look at my prayer list, the number one prayer request on my prayer list that I prayed every single day was that no one would drop my son. It literally was written down, and I prayed for it. Like, the people that were dying, they were under my son, like not being dropped by an old lady at church. And I remember that was my biggest fear. I so desperately hoped that my son was a big baby because I thought, man, if you drop a four-pound baby, it's going to leave some marks. But if he's eight or nine pounds, he'll probably bounce back. And so I remember being, I was the classic overprotective dad that was literally at church watching where all the old ladies sat that would want to come up and hold my my son and just kind of blocking them out so that they couldn't get to my kid. Now, I mean, you'd think something's changed, but it hasn't changed at all. Now I have a, a five-year-old daughter, and I'm sorry to say that every single night when I put her to bed, I check the screws on her bunk bed. It's like, they're, they're not on loose from the night before, Chris. Why are you checking them again? But, and, and before you laugh at me, I could probably watch your life, because I know some of you. And, and, and you're in the same club with me. You're, you're in the, you, I mean, you're that overprotective mom, dad, grandparent. And, and we go to great lengths to make sure our families are safe. Our society does that too. I mean, you, if you grew up like I did in the 80s and 90s, man, I mean, car seats were a thing, but they weren't like a a freak out thing like they are today. I mean, we were building forts in the back seat. We were climbing in the window. We were actually sleeping up there, like on long trips. And, and, and so if you were in a car seat or a seatbelt, that was good, but it wasn't like you have to be strapped in with like duct tape where you can barely move like it is today. 
And not that that's a bad thing, but it's just, it's changed a lot. If you remember as a, as a kid, if you, you grew up a few years ago, man, when you wanted to go down the street, you just got on your bike. You didn't even have to wear shoes back then. Get on your bike and, and drive down the street. Now you got to put armor on to get on your bike as a kid. You don't even recognize the kid. they got a helmet, knee pads, elbow pads. They're like full armor to go ride their bike to their friends because, man, we go to, and none of those things are bad, but we go to great lengths as a family and as a society, to protect people that we love. And, and that's a good thing. But a lot of times, and I wrote this in my notes, we, we, we go to great lengths to protect the outside, but sometimes we forget about protecting the inside as aggressively as we protect the outside. I wrote this phrase in my notes. We would never allow a lion to be loose in our homes but many times we let a lion run freely in our hearts. Like if there's a lion in your home, you're going to do something about that. Like that's not something that is going to last very long. You're going to take care of that. You would never let that happen, neither would I. But a lot of times when, when, when we wouldn't allow that to happen on the outside, many times on the inside our homes are being destroyed from the inside out. And because of that idea and because that's reality and we all have stories of, of a home that, man, on the outside looked great and, man, from an outsider's perspective, everything looked well put together, but on the inside, the place was falling apart and people's lives were being destroyed. And none of us are okay with that. And that's why this past week and over the next two weeks, we're looking at one of the most popular, well-known passages in all of Scripture. It's a passage of Scripture that has impacted philosophy, it's impacted history, it's impacted leadership in a way maybe that no other passage of Scripture has done that, and it's the passage called the Sermon on the Mount. And we have looked at this passage last week and in the next two weeks with this idea of what would it be like to follow Jesus' teaching in a way that would help our homes and our lives be blessed. Jesus, just to give you a little bit of context, he had recently begun his ministry. He was probably about 30 years old. He was extremely popular. If it was today, it would have been his YouTube video would have went viral. His Instagram following would have been blowing up. He, he was, people were starting to know who he was. He was teaching. He was healing. And crowds were beginning to follow him to the point where the Bible says his fame spread. And in the midst of his popularity, in the midst of all that was taking place, one day he pulls his kind of key people, his disciples, kind of his guys aside, and he sits down on a mountain, and he begins to teach them about a new way of life in a new type of kingdom. He begins to teach them in a way that initially, even when he began to teach them, it grabbed their attention because of how he even started. And last week we looked at one of the verses, uh, we looked at Matthew chapter 5 verse 6, this week we're going to look at Matthew 5 verse 8, because, and you'll notice that the way Jesus started each of these truths, he started them in a way that the listeners of that day would have leaned in as soon as he said the first word. All of the phrases start the same way, they start, blessed are, 
in this society, for us, our blessed are, okay, that's, okay, two great words, but I'm not like leaning in any extra when somebody says, hey, blessed are, okay, good, but in this society, this word blessed was, came from a Latin word, and what it meant, it meant that inner happiness, that inner satisfaction, that inner joy that wasn't even available to normal people, it was only available to the gods of the day. And so when Jesus is sitting down on this, this mountain and he's gathered his guys and other people begin to gather, all of a sudden he says, blessed are. And people begin to lean in because what he's talking about hasn't even been available to them. See, this, this phrase, blessed are, implied an inner satisfaction that did not depend on outward circumstances. And so when Jesus said this, these people leaned in. And, and, and what he said in verse 8, and that's the verse we're going to look at, he said this. He said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Let me read it again. Pretty, pretty simple verse. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. That word pure, it's, it's pretty self-explanatory. It, it implies the absence of impurity or filth. It implies this idea of singleness of purpose without distraction. Where, where I grew up, I grew up in, in the state of Florida. And I know if you've, if you've ever visited Florida, one of the things you do, you go to Disney World and you go to the beach. Those are like the two things, if you're in Florida, that you, you do. And, and one of the things that, that you do at the beach is, man, you they pick up seashells. And it's just, there's some beautiful beaches. Some of the most beautiful beaches in the world are in Florida. But we also have, in Florida, we also have a lot of lakes. In fact, the city I grew up in was called Lakeland. And, and as you would go, if you would go to one of those beautiful beaches, you would go, and you've been to beaches like this, where you literally look in, you could be like four feet deep, and you look in and you can see the bottom. The water's beautiful. And, and if you were to maybe have your watch on or a bracelet, and you were to drop it in that water, you would see it. As long as the tide didn't pull it out, you would see right where it went. The water's so clear, you'd be able to reach down and pick that up. It'd be no problem. But if you were to go to some of the lakes in Florida, first of all, some of them you'd be scared to get in because you'd be afraid an alligator would eat you. But if you got in, some of the lakes you can't I mean, you can put your hand about a half a foot down and you can't see your hand because it's dirty. And if you were to lose that same bracelet or watch, good luck finding it. Because there's so much filth in the water, there's so much distraction in the water that, that it's not pure and you can't look down and you can't see through it. Where if you were to go to the beach, the same thing, you'd be able to look down and see very clearly because there's no filth, there's no distraction. And what Jesus is saying here, he's saying, blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are those that have no distractions, no filth inside their inner self. For they will see God. They will see God. And, and this idea of seeing God, it's, it's kind of a twofold thing. It implies a seeing God now and his work, but it also implies a seeing God in eternity. So Jesus, he's sitting down with his guys, and he's talking to them, and he's talking about things that, that are new to them. He says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I like how the message uh, version translates it. It says this, you're blessed when you get your inside world, your mind and heart put right, then you can see God in the outside world. 
See, purity to these guys, and, and you got to put yourself back in their perspective, purity was not a new thing to them. In fact, the society they lived in put a lot of effort and a lot of uh, time and resources into keeping the outside clean and pure and looking good. And so these guys understood in their society how staying pure on the outside would bring honor. It was a good thing, and so they understood this. But, but what they didn't understand is, and it's really a lot like today, is, you know what, there's a lot more to this thing than what's happening on the outside. And in fact, Jesus was much more concerned about the inside than the outside. See, we, we can't really rag on these guys too much because we're, we're pretty much like them. I mean, we're not much different. We, we know how to play the part. We know what to say. We know what not to say. We know how to dress. We know how not. I mean, we know how to put kind of the look on for whatever situation we're in, no matter if it's really what's happening in, on the inside. It may be why some of you walked away from the church. Or it may be why someone that you love dearly walked away from the church because they came into a church and they knew their stuff wasn't together. And they walked into a church hoping to find a place where, where other people were honest about their stuff and where they could find help. But they went into a church and realized, wow, nobody has any problems here. Everybody has their stuff together and they felt out of place. Maybe you say, that's why I walked away from this whole thing. And what's interesting is the same guy that was making you feel like you were different because you had junk was at home looking at porn when nobody else was looking. But at church, he was acting like everything was put together. And Jesus, this infuriated Jesus, this whole idea of cleaning out the, the outside but not focusing in on what was going on in the heart. And so Jesus' teaching was a new way of thinking. It was a way that the focus was on the inner self and it's the, the focus on the inner self and the purity inside that would bring the blessing, not the focus on the outside. In fact, later on in the passage, he says things like this in Matthew 5.21. He says, you've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. Well, that's a good thing. We would agree with that. You probably shouldn't kill people. But he says this, but I say to you, and, and he, he, he kind of goes in a little deeper. He says that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. So, okay, good. You didn't kill your neighbor, but you wanted to on the inside. You don't get a pass. Well, well I, I, everything on the outside's cleaned up, Jesus. He's like, I don't, that's, I'm focused on your heart. What's going on inside? Another time, he, he says just a few verses later, he says, you've heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. We would all agree. Yeah, that's a good thing not to do. But I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Because Jesus was focused on the inner self. He got so frustrated with the religious leaders of the day. In fact, he, he's known to have called them out many times. He, he called them out many times because they put so much into keeping the outside clean. In fact, in, in a little later on in Matthew, he says this. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. You're hypocrites. 
For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and uncleanness. He says, you guys, you're like a grave that, man, you, you clean up the outside, you paint the outside so it looks beautiful from the outside, and you're so impressed with yourself, but you're, you're like a, a grave that's clean on the outside, but you're full of rotting, dirty, dead man's bones on the inside. And Jesus, as he's sitting down with his guys and he's talking to them about a new way of life and a new kingdom, he says, blessed are the pure in heart, on the inside, for they will see clearly God. See, in our relationship with God, purity leads to intimacy. And intimacy leads to impact. Let me, let me say that again. See, in our relationship with God, purity leads to intimacy. And intimacy leads to impact. See, the pure in heart see God as a person to be loved, so their first priority is God, and this love leads them to love others well. Because it, it starts on the inside. They understand that the pure in heart, that, that purity is what leads to the intimacy that God wants. And the intimacy out of that relationship with God, not out of your effort, not out of how good you are, but out of that relationship with God, that intimacy with God is what actually leads to impacting the world. And for some, you walked away from the church because no one ever told you that. What they told you is the seven things that you have to do to be right with God and the five things that if you're caught doing, God's going to be really angry at you. And as long as you did the seven things, or at least five and a half of them, and as long as you stayed away from most of the five, maybe your list was seven, every group had their own list, then, then God was okay with you. And all the while, Jesus is saying, I don't know what God you're talking about, but that's not me. Because honestly, I'm not, not super worried about the list. I'm really worried about your heart. The list will kind of take care of itself, but let's focus in on the heart. And it's that purity that on the inside, on the inner self, that leads to intimacy with me. And from that intimacy, you will impact others without even trying. And it's a beautiful thing, the, the purity that, that God calls us to. And, and here's what's really cool. And this happens a lot in Scripture, whether you're somebody who grew up in church or maybe you're here kind of investigating faith, maybe you walked away or kind of trying this thing again. What's really awesome about Jesus, among a lot of other things, is Jesus calls us to do things that we can't do. And he calls us to do things, but then he says this, I'm calling you to do something, but I'm actually going to give you the ability to do it. I'm not expecting you to, you can't even do, you can't even make your heart pure on your own, but I'm, I'm calling you to purity inside, but I'm going to help you do that. I'm going to empower you to do that. And so this idea of purity, it's really twofold. There's a, a judicial purity, and what I mean by that is this. When we sin, when we disobey God, we stand before God as a, a sinful person. And what Jesus did, the whole reason he came to earth was to basically trade your sin for his righteousness. So Jesus said, hey, I'm going to take your sin and I'm going to give you my purity. But 
do I have to work for that? Is there like, do I have to give some money for that? Or how do I get, no, 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 no. It's actually a free gift. And Jesus says, I'm coming to earth. I'm going to die on the cross. I'm going to pay for your sin. And I'm going to make an exchange with you. And I'm going to give you purity and righteousness. And I'll take your sin. So he gives us that purity. So did you know on your worst day, like the day you feel most guilty for, when God looks at you, he sees you as righteous. You mean on the day that I do the thing I've told God I'm not going to do again? When God looks at you, he sees you through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. On your worst day, he sees you as his loved son or daughter on your worst day. And you didn't get that purity, and I didn't on our own. It was through Jesus. But then there's another part of purity, and it's that, that kind of active purifying. And that's where, where Jesus, before he left earth, he says, hey, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you. And the Holy Spirit's going to live inside you if you're a follower of me. And he's, he's going to be there to encourage you. He's going to be there to equip you. He's going to be there to convict you. He's going to be there to actively make you more like me and purify you. And it's not going to be something you do. It's going to be something I'm going to help you do. And so this, this idea of blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. This passage that Jesus is sharing with his guys. It, it really brings us to a question. And it's a question that is a question that would have fit well 2,000 years ago when he shared it. And it fits well today. And the question is simply this. What stops you from seeing God? Maybe another way to say it is, is there anything hindering your view of God right now? This passage says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. So is there, is there anything in your life right now that you would say, man, my view of God is a little bit clouded right now. There, there's some things in my life that, man, I, I've allowed to cloud out my view of God. I remember five years ago, literally sitting in a counselor's room, and I sat in a counselor's room for many weeks during this season of my life. And I remember sitting there with this guy that was, he was a biblical counselor. He was helping us as a couple and me individually. And I remember several times in that room, and I had grown up in church, I remember several times looking at him and saying, I literally have never thought that way about God. Because he was using the scriptures to help me uncloud my view of who God really was. And I remember just what a refreshing feeling to begin to get the dirt out of my life that was clouding my view of God. And so what is it in your life? Is there anything in your life? And, and what's, what's very important is that we're honest about this answer. Because the honest answer to these questions has huge ramifications on our homes and the culture in them. So if you're a son or a daughter, if you're a grandma or grandpa, if you're a mom or dad, you're a single mom, doesn't matter. The, the answer to that question and, and what's clouding my view of God and is there anything has incredible ramifications on the culture inside our homes, no matter what role you play. Which leads us to just a, a question of, so if that is true, how do I create a culture of purity in my home? No matter what role I play, no matter what season of life I'm in, 
How do I create a culture that is blessed because it's pure in my home? Let me give you a few things, just some real practical things. The first thing is, is simple. It's not simple, but it's, it's easy to understand. If we're going to create a culture of purity in our home, the first thing we need to do, no matter what role we play, none of us get a pass on this. We need to model a heart that is devoted to purity. We need to model a heart that's devoted to purity. And you know what a big part of that is? A big part of that is admitting where we're weak. Admitting that, you know what? I'm a dad and I do not have it all together. And you know what? I'm weak in these areas. If I'm going to model a heart that's devoted to purity, then I have to be willing to admit where I'm weak, where I fall, and I, I don't need to walk around like I have it all together. In my home, it's not going to help create a culture of purity in my home when I act like I have it all together. We need to admit where we're weak. In fact, James, Jesus' brother, he said it this way. He said, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. And I think that has such ramifications on our home. If, we're gonna, if you're going to be a son, if you're a daughter, if you're a mom or dad, grandma, grandpa, and you're trying to model a culture of purity in your home, you have to be willing to say, you know what? Grandma doesn't have it all together. There's some weaknesses in my life that I need Jesus for. We, we need to admit where we're weak. And, and you know what we also need to admit? We need to admit that where we're weak is a big deal. Sometimes we, we play off the areas that we're weak in, the areas that we fall in, as we play it off like it's not that big of a deal. It is a big deal. And, and we need to say, you know what, I'm weak, and these areas where I've fallen or where I could fall, they're a big deal. Sometimes we play it off. I, I was thinking about this. If you were to, and if I was to, you'd be distracted if I was, but if I was to walk down here with a, most of my illustrations are about food, and you, when you know me, that's why, uh, but if I was to walk down here and we were to just bring up a, a fresh plate of brownies, like right out of the oven, just cut them and brought them down here, like you would probably, especially if you're on the inside, you'd be tempted to maybe grab one, you smell them, you start to want them. And, and if I was to walk them around and say, you know what, I made enough brownies for everybody. Last week we had cake, so this week we're having brownies. Everybody gets a brownie. And I was to say, but just one, one thing. My dog, uh, somehow, weird way, I don't know how it happened, but some of my dog's poop got mixed into the batter. Not much, though. Just a little bit. <laughs> I, it, you know, brown looked the same. You're like, you're not supposed to say that in church. Uh, but, but if I was to say that, you'd be like, you know what? I'll just pass on those brownies. Chris, you can have all of them. No, no, it's just, I mean, it's just a little bit. I mean, lit, I mean. It's maybe that much. It's not that big. We didn't mix it all in. It's all good. You're like, no, I really, I'm good. Because, and nobody, I mean, maybe if you were starving, you would, but nobody in here is going to be like, okay, hey, I'll take his then. No, because just a little bit of that, is, it messes up the whole brownie. And in the same way, the little things in our life that we say, man, they're not a big deal. When we say that, we're basically going against this idea of how to model purity in our home when we downplay our weaknesses and when we say our weaknesses aren't a big deal. They are a big deal. That's why we need Jesus. 
When we say they're not a big deal, we're saying, you know what, Jesus, I've got this life thing. And he's saying, no, 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 that's actually why I came, because that is a big deal. So we want to model a culture of purity, a heart that's devoted to purity. And and here's a, a good thought. Transparency is more impactful than perfection. As you think about modeling a heart that's devoted to purity, this idea of transparency in your home is much more powerful than, wow, they have it all together. I can never be like them, but I'm happy for them. The rest of us have to figure this thing out. No, to have someone that's transparent. And so that's the first thing, model a heart that's devoted to purity. But second thing, just real practical, stop going by the mud pit. Like, eh, what's that? Here's what I wrote in my notes. Sometimes we drop our kids by the mud pit and then we get mad at them when they come home dirty. Sometimes we walk by the mud pit and then we get frustrated that our clothes get dirty. See, I don't know about you, but if I'm close to a mud pit long enough, I'm going to jump in the mud pit. I'm going to like have a good time in the mud pit. If I, if I stay by the mud pit long enough... I'm getting in the mud at some point. And the scriptures say it this way. It says, make no provision for the flesh. It's it's in Romans chapter 13. It says this, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Sometimes what modeling a home that is pure of heart looks like, it's, hey, we're just going to stop walking by the mud pit. Because we can't handle walking by the mud pit because it affects our lives, it affects our purity. And so there's a lot of ramifications to that. The Bible's just clear, it says, hey, don't make it easy for yourself to sin. Don't put things in your life that just make it easy for you to gratify your flesh. Don't think so much of yourself that says, you know what, I can handle this. I I know uh, at our old church there were several times... I would have somebody come into my office to sit down and, and want to be counseled. And, and, and several times it would be maybe a guy that would say, you know what, hey, I'm struggling with pornography. I'm really struggling to get a handle on what I look at on the internet. And, and what would happen is you would come to, we would come to a point in our counseling where we would have to say, okay, but man, you're staying up after everybody's in bed and you're on the computer. And you're asking for help to not look at pornography. Like, maybe don't be on the computer when everybody else is in bed, man. That's kind of like just walking by the mud pit and hoping that you don't get dirty. And so we have to think through, okay, man, if we're going to have a home that is pure in heart, that is where our kids and ourselves and whether we're grandparent or whether we're, no matter what role we play, we have to think through, okay, man, we've got to set ourselves up to have success, and some of those things is, man, we got to take some things out of our life or, or tweak some things so that, man, when we have those moments where we, we're tempted to sin, when we're tempted to dive in the mud pit, man, the mud pit's not there. And so we have to stop going by the mud pit. Last thing, as you think about how do we create a culture of purity in our home, no matter what role we play? The last thing is we want to give God's word a place of influence in our life and family. Psalm 119, it says it this way. How can a young man, and you can put fill in the blank, a young woman, how can a family keep their way pure? 
by guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against God or against you. See, in, in this walk with Christ, sometimes we, we have this concept that, that there's like a neutral setting. Like I'm either, you know what, right now I'm just going to kind of do the neutral thing. And so I'm going to move some things out of my life, but I'm just going to kind of stay here. And there's, in, the, in walking with Jesus, there's never a neutral setting. If you're putting off something, the Bible's always saying, hey, put this off, but then put this on. Don't, don't stay in the middle. If you're going to take something away, you've got to put something on. And, and in this same way, the, the Scriptures tells us, hey, that these, these words of Scripture, hide them in your heart, and, and what they do is they help you not sin against God. And so we, we put off, man, we stay away from the mud pit. We know what those things are in our life. But then what we do is we elevate Scripture in our family because as we're putting things off, we're also elevating Scripture to put things on because we know that's what helps us create a culture of purity. So Jesus says he's sitting down with these guys, and they don't have a clue at this point what's about. They're early in his three years of ministry, so they don't have a clue what the next three years looks like. And they sure don't have a clue what the thing looks like after Jesus goes to heaven. So, man, they're new at this, and they're hearing him say things like, blessed are the pure in heart. What about the outside, Jesus? No, no, no. Pure in, on the inside. If you want to be blessed, if you want to see God clearly and see what God has for you, you're going to have to have a heart that's pure on the inside. And Jesus is going to help you do that. He says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. See, some of us, if we're honest, we struggle with clarity and purpose in our life. And we, we may walk around and we may go to the, a job every single day. We may have a schedule that we follow. But on the inside, there's, there's a, a place inside of us that says, you know what? I, I'm struggling with clarity. I'm struggling with what, what am I really here for? And a friend of mine, Vance Pittman, said it this way. He said, a lack of clarity is always an invitation into greater intimacy. And so as we close and as we desire no matter where we are in our families no matter what roles we play we desire to have a home that's blessed we desire to have a home that when things are going crazy on the outside that there's an inner peace that there's an inner joy that there's an inner satisfaction we desire to have a home where everyone in that home is going after God's best for them and seeing it clearly and going after it that's what we desire and what God says to us this morning, he says, you know what? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. What a tragedy, and maybe you've, you've had this happen, where you've, you've dealt with somebody that was kind of towards the end of their life, and, and they got to the end of their life with regret. And, and it's... I mean, you try to make things feel better, you know, and try to encourage them still, but, but inside there's, there's a kind of a deep pain when you see somebody that has walked away from what God really has for them, their purpose. And, and what, what tragedy would it be for us to get to the end of our life 
and to say, you know what? I never really saw God's purpose clearly for my life. I did a lot of stuff. I, I, I worked really hard, but I never saw clearly what God had for me. And so I wasn't able to do it. And God's saying, he's saying, blessed are the pure in heart. If that, that inner purity is what's going to allow you, your children, your grandchildren to see clearly what God has for you, his purpose for you, so you can pursue it. Up on the screen, there's a prayer that uh, it's adapted from Psalms 139. And it's a, it's a passage that maybe whether you grew up in church or not, you've probably heard parts of this. And it's a great passage to really make kind of application of this message. It simply says this, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there is anything impure in me that clouds my view of you. Today I am turning from, you fill in the blank, lead me into your purpose for me. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. No matter what your background is in faith, whether you grew up in church and maybe walked away, you were hurt by the church, maybe you're somebody that has kind of been in church all your life and, and quietly you're skeptical of the whole thing and, and you don't maybe share that, but down deep that's really where you're at. Or maybe you're somebody that you're a passionate follower of Jesus. God's desire for each of us is that we clearly see him and his best so that we can have a life that is most fulfilling and brings most glory to him. And for some of us in here when we maybe we're talking about, man, what's some of the things that clouds your judgment? What kind of clouds your view of God? Did something, just between you and God, did something come to your mind right away? Did something, I mean, you didn't have to even try to think about it. When, when we said that, you automatically thought about something that you say, hey, this is the thing in my life that really is clouding my view of God. It's the area in my life that is causing impurity. And, and this morning, as we close just between you and God, would you be willing to just ask God to say, God, search my heart. Search me, Lord. Search me on the deepest levels. Know me, God. And God, show me where there are areas of my life that are clouding my view of you and what your best is. And God, if you show me those things, I, I want to leave those things today. I want to leave those things. I'm a, I'm a teenager. I'm a, a grandparent. I'm a single mom. I desperately want to have a home that is pure and has a culture of purity. And I know part of that is leaving what's clouding my judgment, what's clouding my view of you. It's leaving that and turning to you. And so if God showed you something today, would you just in the quietness of your heart just say, God, today I'm turning from this area because I want to see you clearly. I want to create a home that has a culture of purity. Lord, I pray for each of us. Lord, our, our enemy would love for us to be totally fulfilled and happy by making sure everything on the outside is clean and safe. And Lord, he'd, he'd love for us to be satisfied with that. 
But God, all the while things are clean and safe on the outside, we know that, Lord, there's things that are happening on the inside that are even more destructive. Lord, we have loved ones right now, people we love dearly, who are struggling deeply, and on the outside, things look like it's pretty good, but down deep, they're being just ravaged from the inside out. And Lord, I pray that we as individuals, whether we're new to faith, whether we've been following you for a long time, Lord, that we would just, with a transparent heart, ask you to search us, to show us if there's any area in our life that's clouding our view of you. And if there is, God, I pray that today we would leave that because we desperately want to see you and your purpose. In Jesus' name, amen.